Awesome. Hey, uh, this morning, I'm going to share a message with you uh, that I've entitled Three Ways to Fail at Everything in This Season. Three ways for you to fail at everything in this season. My hope is to encourage you, but just let me warn you, it's one of those sermons because it's been one of those weeks and it's one of those Sundays. Three ways to fail at everything in this uh, season. I love the Bible. Uh, because not only is it a record of what God has done, it's a testament to what God is doing. I think one of the failures of the West as it pertains to Christianity is we view Scripture only through a historical lens. Like, isn't that nice what Jesus did oh so long ago? And the reality is, is that Scripture serves as a living, breathing text prophesying to us about the way that God chooses to interact with humanity. The record of Jesus walking the earth is the revealed, exclusive, exhaustive nature uh, of, of God's heart revealed to us in the incarnation. Jesus is what God has to say. It is what God is continuing to say about our broken condition, and it serves as the only solution that stands the test of time. And so when we read the Bible, it is this record, it is this, not only this historical text, but this contemporary witness about how God chooses to interact with society. And what I have found is that there has never been one season I've faced as a believer that the Bible doesn't have something to say about. And sometimes people who maybe aren't inclined towards Christ think of Scripture as just some sort of antiquated religious text that's really outdated and can't speak to contemporary culture. But Paul says the spiritual-minded who understands spiritual things can spiritually discern the times that they're in. The way that we do that is through the living word planted in our heart, driving us towards this text that enables us to properly contextualize the world around us. Your epistemology or your lifelong hermeneutic is incomplete without the word of God. For us, we are formed and framed by what God says about who we are and about the world around us. You know what I found? Is that the temptation of life is to love what God says about you when you need grace, but not love what God says about other people when they need grace. You're like, man, I love, I'm the righteousness of God. I'm, I'm not a product of my past. I'm not just the result of my worst moment. But then when, it, when it's other people who've had a bad moment or a bad season or, or a bad life, it's easy for us to, to really love what God says about us but not really love what God says about them. And I want to show you uh, in the Old Testament a story that speaks to our current climate today, and I think it will help encourage you in this season. Three ways to fail at everything in this season. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, mismanage your diet. Mismanage your diet. The, the Bible records this story in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter uh, 11. This is Moses writing. He writes the first five books of the Old Testament, often referred to as the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The last chapter of Deuteronomy records the death of Moses, which obviously he doesn't write. And then the very next book is the book written by Joshua, bearing his name, Joshua, that tells us the story of the Hebrew children coming out of the wilderness, being formalized into a nation uh, a special people set apart for God's holy purpose. In Numbers 11, the Bible says this, starting in verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now 
we have lost our appetite, we never see anything but this manna. I don't know if you're familiar with the story at all, but manna was God's provision that he rained down from heaven to feed the Israelites while they were disobedient in the wilderness for 40 years. Aren't you glad that even in your disobedience, God is faithful to provide resource in your life? It's what Paul says in the New Testament. He says, when we were faithless, he was faithful. Now the Israelites, they've been in captivity in Egypt for 400 years under the iron rule of Pharaoh, subjugated as slaves. And Moses is sent as one to bring them out of bondage into freedom, and they can't go a year into the wilderness without complaining about the provision that God provides. You ever wonder why Jesus asked people in the New Testament if they really want to be healed or if they really want to be set free? Probably because this is our human proclivity that we ask things from God, we desire things in our heart, but we are unwilling to break with old seasons in order to receive new things. And the people are in slavery. Moses sets them free. There's about three million of them in the wilderness. It's the world's worst camping trip, and Moses is trying to find the promised land. And if you think you're bad at directions, they're lost for 40 years. And there's a cloud that leads them, there's a fire that leads them, there's supernatural provision. And manna, food, rains out of heaven. And what do the people do? Well, they do what all people do. They complain. They don't just complain against God. They complain against Moses. They complain against Aaron. They complain against their neighbors. They complain just about complaining because that's what people do. But can I tell you the difference between a mature Christian and an immature Christian? It's how you answer this question. Who's responsible for my diet? Friend, your appetite is your responsibility. Now watch what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. In other words, a disciplined appetite brings blessing from God. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7. He says to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. I think what we want from other people is for other people that we idealize to live our spiritual lives for us. It's everybody else's responsibility for me to develop except me. And so we project it on people and in doing so put them on pedal stools that are unattainable and then get upset at God when they fall off a pedal stool that we put them on. And maybe, just maybe, the Spirit of God would tell you this morning, it's your responsibility to manage your diet. Meaning that as we come into fullness and as we come into maturity, what we begin to realize is that God places other people in our lives to help stir us on towards development. But at the end of the day, I've got to take responsibility for my spiritual diet. Do you know that your diet shapes your appetite? I had a friend who recently had a heart attack, and I was having a conversation with him not too many weeks ago, and I said, how are you feeling since your heart attack? He said, well, I'm doing a little bit better. I had surgery. They put a stent in. They did all these different things. He goes, but the hardest thing is the doctor told me I had to change my diet. I went from eating a lot of red meats and all these types of things to now they want me to eat the salads and the greens and the beans and the vegetables. And, and that's never been a part of my regular diet. He told me this. He said, you know what, Russell, the first week I hated it. Terrible. 
I thought, God, this is worse than the heart attack. I just hate this diet. Second week, still pretty bad. Third week, uh, okay, I can deal with it. But he said, you know, I had an interesting experience the other day. The other day, I actually began to crave the things that I had placed on my diet. Why? Because if you will stick to your diet, one day that diet will inform your appetite. See, the problem with us is we've eaten junk spiritual junk we've ingested it with no filter and then we wonder why we don't have an appetite for the things of God diet informs appetite if you've ever raised kids you know what it's like to try and discipline a diet you know the only difference between a four-year-old and a terrorist is you can negotiate with a terrorist you know, as a parent, I think your first child, you try to be all idealistic. Like, hey, man, you're going to eat all these foods, and it's going to be the food pyramid. And by the time you got a second kid or a third kid, you're just like, you can eat chicken nuggets for the next 15 years. I don't care. Do whatever you want. You know what it's like trying to get a child to try new things. All they want is one thing, and you're telling them, try the mac and cheese. I promise you, you'll love it. Everybody loves it. It's pretty basic. It's not scary. Just try something new. But we're so stuck in our old system. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul warned the church about? He said, I desired to give you something solid. But you've been on spiritual milk so long that your diet has shaped your appetite. See, that's why it's so important that you're in a church that focuses on things like spiritual development because you can't afford to stay stuck here it's ongoing there's more for you every day his mercy and his grace is new on a daily basis there are more territory for you to take there's more dreams for you to have there's more land for you to perch there's more for you in your life than what you have now and the day that you stop dreaming is the day that you start dying and so for us as people who are geared towards spiritual development, we understand that there are always new things for God to have me engage with. Well, I've never served on the greeting team before. It's a good day to start. Well, I've never been in a community group before. Well, maybe, just maybe, God's been tapping you on the shoulder saying, why don't you try it out? I've always been a consumer. I've never been a giver. I've never been able to trust God in this area. I've never been able to see him for who he is in this. Uh, I've never had this experience before. Pretty soon we live a pretty narrow life, hemmed in by all the things that we'll never try. And yet we serve a God who is so much bigger and more diverse than you could ever imagine, and he's constantly inviting you into what's new. The Israelites in the wilderness, 40 years. The spies got sent out. They saw the promised land, but it was too scary. It was too different. It looked different than what they had previously done, and it kept them in a place of stagnation a lot longer than God had intended. For example, friend, if church is only for your entertainment and not for your growth, your appetite will often be offended by what's offered here. If you don't develop your appetite, you become hungry for the wrong things and then upset when they aren't provided. Let me tell this to you, Fred. Don't wait for spiritual crisis in order to start your spiritual diet. Why? Because the Word of God is not cake for special occasions. It's bread for daily consumption. But we treat church or spirituality in general like an emergency room. 
I'm driving down the road and I see the red and blue lights flashing behind me and I'm like, oh God, if you will just get me out of this, I promise I'm going to be in church next week. I'm going to be back on my reading plan. I'm going to be back in my discipline. God, if you would just help me out this one time. And God is so good and so gracious, he does. Full well knowing that we don't intend to follow through on that promise, but we'll make sure to be back in line next time we face a crisis. And what if church became less of an emergency room to manage your crisis and more of a health club to develop your healthy living and development? What if we began to think about spirituality different than just, God, I'm in a crisis. If you'll just help me out here. See, being in church doesn't mean you'll have any less crisis in your life. But what it does mean is when you face crisis, you'll be a lot better prepared to handle it. It's not that being a Jesus follower or a Jesus person somehow inoculates you from pain or difficulty. But what it does mean is when you face it, it doesn't overcome you. You overcome it. And for us, we go, you know what, even if I'm not in a spiritual crisis, let me develop a healthy spiritual appetite so that when I face the storm, instead of freaking out, I can have peace in the midst of it. Friend, immaturity says I'm driven by my impulses, but maturity says I'm driven by my diet. It's not just spiritual. It's emotional. It's mental. It's sexual. If you're driven by your impulses then you pursue what the world calls freedom, but you end up in what God calls bondage. Hear me. You ever seen what the world paints as true freedom? True freedom is I can do whatever I want, say whatever I want, sleep with whoever I want, go wherever I want, because no one will ever govern me. It's the spirit of lawlessness. I won't be governed by anyone. But that type of freedom leads to this type of bondage. And pretty soon what you find yourself is enslaved to things that you were supposed to rule over. You begin working overtime for the enemy. You begin finding yourself in compromise, which is just surrender on an installment plan. Fred, for you and me, we make a decision to discipline our diet. Yeah, people with disciplined diets are some of the most annoying people I know. <laughs> like people who are strict, you know? I, I've, I've, I've never had to be on a diet my entire life, ever. I just, I, I, could, I could eat 17 large pizzas a, a day. I lose weight when I'm sleeping. I just can't, you know, I just, I've just been this size my entire life. Everybody tells me, well, one day it's going to catch up with you. And when it does catch up with me, watch out. <laughs> Did you ever meet somebody who's strict about their diet? Why? They got a goal in mind. Say, I'm working for something. Man, I got a competition. I got something in my mind that I'm working towards. And so even when you're presented with unlimited options, they'll go, no, I'm going to choose the healthy one over it. Why? Because I'm driven by something I see that others can't. And in your life, my question is, are you captured by things that you see that others can't? Because without vision, what happens? People perish. Or like one translation says, they cast off restraint. I ain't going to be governed by anything. There's no law going to hold me. Nobody going to tell me how to live my life. Only God can judge me, which really means I'm just my own God who I serve. Ain't nobody going to have a rule for me. Because look, I'm totally free. And it sounds like the worst type of bondage you could ever be in. But when you are disciplined in your diet, it helps develop your appetite. 
I've said this before, but let me break it down in, in more simple terms, less spiritual, but talk about the concept of sexuality. Sometimes people think like, if uh, I just get married, it will help take care of my sexual impulses. Okay, anybody who's married, you know that doesn't work. I thought I was just gonna get married and never lust after anybody ever again. It's like some people think that they're gonna get married and then all of a sudden never be attracted to anybody else. I only have eyes for you. I'm totally, I can't see anybody else. The way that people talk about marriage and relationships just ignores the reality, ignores facts. When you get married, it doesn't take care of your impulses. It's an invitation to better manage and discipline those impulses that you have. It's the same thing with your mind, especially in this season. I feel like I'm criticized now more than ever. I don't say that because I need sympathy, but just to give you insight into what I do. I'll wake up on Monday. I got an email from somebody who's mad that we had church. Another email from somebody who's mad that we ever shut down. Another email from somebody who's mad that more people didn't wear masks. Another email who's mad from somebody who says you shouldn't even have masks. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, I've got 17 emails from people who are just upset just because they just want to be upset. And what I've found is that if I don't manage my mental impulses, pretty soon I'll find myself in depression, anxiety, stress, freaked out, I don't wanna do this, worried, what are people gonna think, why? Because if I don't take captive every thought or vain imagination and submit it to the Lordship of Jesus, watch what happens, my impulses take me to bondage. But my discipline takes me to godly diet, which develops an appetite for the things of God. We want everybody else to enforce our diet. But at the end of the day, friend, the choice is yours. Proverbs 25 says this, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. You ever find yourself in a spiritual moment where you're like, ah, if I'm gonna be honest, I'm not even hungry for the things of God. You ever find yourself in that moment? You're just kind of like, man, I, I believe in God. I, you know, I'm in, I'm in church. I'm doing the thing, pastor. But I just, if I were to be honest, I just don't feel that hungry for the things of God. You know one of the greatest ways to stir your hunger? Exercise. You know why some of us aren't hungry for the things of God? Because we haven't ever done anything with what we've already received. We haven't exercised the last thing that we ate. It's still sitting in our system. We don't have room to eat anything else because we've never exercised what we've already gotten. And I've said this before, but the problem with church today is not that we lack revelation, it's not that we lack information, is that we lack implementation. We got the best communicators in the world, the best buildings, the best sound, the lights, the worship, everything else, but at the end of the day, nobody can live your life for you. And isn't that the tragedy of life? We just wish that God or somebody else who we really idolize could just take over our bodies and just do the thing for us and just act right and think right. But you know the greatest gift that God gave you is not the ability to prophesy, it's not the ability for signs, wonders, and miracles. Do you know the greatest gift that God gave to all of humanity? The capacity to choose. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't always seem like a great gift, but God loves you enough to give you the free will to choose. And that's why scripture says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Make a choice. 
Well, God, I just, you know, if you really wanted me to have it, you just force me and you just do all these things. And if God really wanted me to grow, well, I would grow. No, God wants you to grow. <laughs> We've established that. We're not waiting on him, guys. He's, he's waiting on us. Three things that you can do to fail in this season. Number one, mismanage your diet. Number two, forget where you came from. Forget where you came from. Watch what scripture says in Joshua 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan River. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign amongst you. Why? Because in the future, when your children ask you what do these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. David says this in Psalm 78, 7. Do not forget the works of God. Scripture says this in 2 Kings 17 and verse 38. The covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget. Moses says this in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Friend, the past is a record of his faithfulness. The future is a canvas for him to paint. And every season, he uses different colors, but the end result is always the same. God's faithfulness on full display. And when you forget where you came from, you begin to develop a desire for things that God has rescued you out of. We forget where we came from. Some of you have been saved too long. You forget what you was like before Christ. Yeah, Paul tells this to the church. He says, be careful that what began in the spirit doesn't continue in the flesh. Because we forget where we've come from. We also forget how many times... God has healed us, resourced us, delivered us, saved us, provided for us. We get into the middle of a season, we're freaking out. God, there ain't no way, and I can't ever see this through, and where are you at? And God's like, you don't remember the testimonies? Fred, for, 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 for some of you, you ought to set up stone altars of remembrance in your own life in different ways. Where when you get into the middle of a wilderness season, you can look back at the time he helped you through the Jordan. You go, man, God was faithful back in March of 2017. He's going to be faithful today. How many times do we forget about the faithfulness of God in the land of the living? We're just prone to forget. All over scripture, the admonishment of God to his people is do not forget. Why? Because we forget all the time. In fact, we have short-term memory about God's faithfulness. And instead, we have long-term memory about our failures. And what if you reverse those today? What if you allow God to rehang the pictures in the gallery of your mind? Where the first thing that you think of when you wake up in the morning or the last thing that you think about before you go to sleep at night is not your biggest mistake, your biggest regret, or your most embarrassed moment, but instead, how good God has been in my life. Honestly, in my spirit, I feel it so strong this morning. Some of you ought to allow God as the curator of the museum of your mind to rehang the paintings in your hallway. You've painted things of your most hurt moment, your most victimized moment, your most embarrassed moment, your biggest regret. Friend, we all have them. And if you were the sum total of all your failures, you wouldn't be here today. 
But instead, you are the sum total of what Christ has done on your behalf. You can't afford to forget. That's why I love the gathering of the church. Because <laughs> we get together on Sunday and we remind each other of how good God has been. This isn't just to tell war stories. It's not just to talk about how difficult your week has been. When we get together with God's people, we begin to remind each other how many times God's come through, how many times he's been faithful, how many times I didn't deserve it and he showed up anyways. And all of a sudden, what happens in the room? Your faith begins to build, your joy begins to increase, your hope begins to grow. Why? Because you consider him faithful to his word. Not once has he failed every one of his promises it's yes and amen meaning that god is as true to his word today as he's ever been not only do you got to be careful in mismanaging your diet or forgetting where you came from but also number three let me end here friend don't allow this season to cause you to mistake allies for enemies. In Numbers 12, Moses writes this story. He's in the tabernacle of meeting. He's talking with the Lord. And all of a sudden, Miriam and Aaron begin to speak against the leadership of Moses. They're complaining, they're upset. The Bible records in number 12, Numbers 12 that one of the reasons they were most upset is because they didn't agree with the ethnicity of one of Moses' wives. So Cushite, essentially an individual from Africa. They were upset about it. They were starting to grumble and complain and talk against Moses. And the Bible says that the presence of God came down on Miriam and Aaron as a form of judgment. And when the presence lifted, the Bible says that their skin turned white with leprosy. And Moses came out of the tabernacle meeting and he sees this and he knows exactly what's happened. Now, if I'm Moses, I'm like, see, that's what you get. God knew you was talking about me. That's what you get. That's why I'm not Moses. You ever read the story and... Uh, you always put yourself as the hero. Notice that temptation the next time you read scripture. Maybe you're not Moses, maybe you're Pharaoh. Maybe you got the stone heart that God needs to change for flesh. Maybe you're not Jesus, maybe you're Peter or Judas or worse. I think when we read scripture, we gotta allow it to cut our hearts and to reveal how many times we've been on the wrong side of judgment. We've been on the wrong side of gossip. We've been on the wrong side of talking against somebody. And in Numbers 12, here's what Moses does. He sees the judgment of God that comes on Miriam and Aaron for talking against him. And Moses goes back into the tabernacle of meeting and he intercedes for Miriam and Aaron that they would have grace from God and be healed. What? Fred, if you're not careful in this cultural moment, you'll take people who are friends and make them enemies. And can I tell you what happens when you begin to pray for somebody who's despitefully used you, slandered you, gossiped on you, lied on you? What begins to happen when you pray for that person? 
See, prayer is not so much about changing God's heart as it is about changing your heart. And when you pray for somebody, all of a sudden God begins to work on your heart. All of a sudden God begins to work on your emotions. God begins to discipline your worldview. You begin to see things differently. And as Moses prays, God responds. Can I tell you in this season, you need all the friends you can get. You need all the allies you can get. Why? Because one puts a thousand to flight, but two puts 10,000. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Friend, you and me, we need all the help that we can get. But sometimes we have created a litmus test so high for relationship that nobody can fulfill it except us. We find ourselves alone, isolated in an echo chamber where every idea sounds awesome. Oh, there's a real danger to believe everything you think. There's a real danger when every idea that you have sounds like a good idea. What it likely means is that you're alone. And the only thing that God said in all of creation that is not good is for man to be alone. My encouragement for you is to take a step back from the radioactive, reactive edge of media and social media. And instead of having to fight everybody online all the time, 24-7, discipline your diet. Instead, be in the Word. Instead, be in worship. Instead, actually interact with somebody who's another human, not behind a computer screen. Do things that develop your appetite, develop your diet, and instead drive you in the construct of development. Because we're all in this thing together. And if the boat sinks, we're all going down. So let's be a united people on the same team, serving the same Jesus. I'll close with this thought. This church does not have a political test that you've got to take in order to come here. We don't got a theology test that you have to take in order to come here. We don't have a cultural test or an ethnic test. I simply believe all who call upon the name of the Lord can be saved, which means this. When the church gathers on Sunday morning, it is the greatest demonstration of God's heart for unity in the earth because the Spirit of God draws people from every corner of life, every opinion, every socioeconomic class, every place of life, every employment situation, and we gather together around Jesus, high and lifted up, and we consider Him King. And let me be clear to you, Fred, there is no King but Jesus. There is no government ruler, no politician, elected, unelected, Republican, or Democrat who can ever replace the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it is his flag we wave in this church. And that Jesus, the one who kings and kingdoms shake at his name, the one who the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of our King, the one who is the Prince of Peace. What he has spoken and who he is will remain true, not just today, but forevermore. Would you stand with me as we close? I to pray for you as we dismiss. I want to encourage you, challenge you. Come on, this is not the season to hide under the covers and hope that everything gets done by the next day. And this is a season for development and growth. And we're going to be God's people in this hour. Father, we love you. God, we honor you. 
God, we commit to be people who manage the diet of our life, who discipline our appetite so that we can taste and see that the Lord is good and keep coming back all the days of our life. God, we pray for your help and your hope in time of need, that we would have a resurgence of courage in our own lives, that we would count you faithful, that we would remember the testimony of God. We would remember how many times you've been good in our past and what it means for our present. And God, today, we recommit ourselves to you in worship, in honor, in attention, in affirmation. And we say, God, in every season, you are good, you are faithful, and we choose to trust you. Father, we love you. God, we honor you. We ask for your help in our lives today, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Fred, thanks so much.